Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by writer and director Ben Wheatley to celebrate the 10th anniversary of his, I think this is right, bang on 90 minute long film, A Field in England. Hello, Ben. Hello, how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you very much for talking to us today. I don't think we've had a director on yet to sort of talk about an anniversary of a film, but uh, but 10 years since A Field of England came out, that's uh, that's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah, I looked, at the, I looked at the podcast and I was like, oh yeah, I'm the only one talking about his own film. That's going to look great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prestigious, it's a prestigious. Uh, cap to wear. I would say John Ronson also came on to talk about his own film, okay, Frank. I'm not the first one then, that's good. Yeah, as a filmmaker, at what point does the film's runtime sort of, you know, make itself known to you? Do you start thinking about it quite early on or, or is it really about finding it sort of in the edit? Uh, no, it's usually in the script because it's, you know, and it's probably to do with the way that I write or not that I've written all the films or indeed wrote Field in England, but it's it's kind of, it's structured to be 90 minutes usually. I mean, that's the ideal amount of time, I think. And that's the kind of length of film I've always enjoyed as a kid. And I think the Hitchcock thing of like, should make any anything longer than the, the amount of time your bladder takes to fill up is cor- absolutely correct. And obviously as I get older, my films will get shorter. I think that'd be nice if there was a graph of your film run times just to sort of see ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> you know, and I think it is important. And I think I think it's only in recent years that this, this kind of bloated kind of three hour, 320 or, you know, thing has come about, you know. And, I, and, I, and I've seen reviews of my own films saying, oh, they're a bit short. I'm like, no, they are the right length. These films, these other films are too long. I always think if you come out of a film wishing you could have a bit more of it, you know, wanting more, that's actually a good sign. Um, so I would take those reviews as a positive. Yeah, and I also think that it's a dream space, isn't it? So like when you go in and see a, I went, what did this? I saw um, uh, there'll be blood with a live musical accompaniment, and that film, and I, was, I sat down and went, oh god, how long is this? Oh my god, it's huge! And then it just went by so quick, I didn't even notice it, you know. And I think that, I think when you're when you when you experience a film that is just right, it doesn't really matter how long it is, but it's you know, um, but and which is to say, a ninety-minute film can feel as detailed as a three-hour film, and a three-hour film can feel as swift as a ninety. Absolutely, it's the yeah the, the magic, the magic of cinema. Um, so you're not someone who I don't know when you're when you're sort of browsing the times at your local cinema or, or looking through something like Netflix. You know, does does the runtime of, of you know a film that you might watch determine whether you're going to watch it uh, there or then? Can a runtime put you off? I think that you uh, for television it's different, and that's why you end up watching a lot of long form serial because they are they're they give you it in very discreet chunks you know so you can bail at any point without feeling guilty about it and and of an evening that's probably what i'm looking at i'm like oh yeah i'll give another be up for another 44 minutes or something but i'm not going to start a film and then stop it you know and i think that that does dictate it but if i'm watching a movie i don't care how long it is necessarily but i will you know i'll watch it at the beginning of the evening not towards the end 
Absolutely, I think that's a good uh, a good a good rule of thumb. Um, doing the research for this podcast is a joy for a weeknight because I can fit it all in, you know, on a school day. Um, if this was uh, you know any other sort of movie podcast, I'd probably have to do my research at weekends only. Was there a version of this podcast which was the two hour film um, festival? <laughs> two hours and ten minutes, which seems to be the Marvel, the always the runtime of like the latest Marvel films. <laughs> my ten minutes of that will be the credits. That is true. That's true. A lot of visual effects, guys. Yeah, yeah. So Fielding England, a lovely runtime, bang on 90 minutes long. When did you last rewatch this film? So 10 years, I think it came out in May 2013. So it is sort of 10 years to the to the release. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, the last time I watched it was on Monday. Nice. At the <laughs> screening at the Duke of York's. But that was the first time I'd seen it in 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I was sitting there going, oh my God, I was bonkers back then. <laughs> <laughs> And then I thought, how did we get away with this? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, um, then you know, they enjoyed it. And then, but it was a difficult thing of, like, doing a and a of about a film. Because I never usually watch the film and then do a QA. and a mm. So to sit there rather awkwardly and go, oh, yeah, I really liked it, is yeah. not... Um, <laughs> it doesn't... It's very humble. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't have the insightful kind of uh, chat that they were they were hoping for, you know. So I had to keep that under wraps. But yeah, I thought it was good. Is, is, I guess like rewatching something, you know, a few years down the line after you've done many other films, you, you know, do you appreciate it in a different way? Or were there things that you'd forgotten about? Or, you know, um, did it remind you, did it like, sort of spark memories of things you'd you know, maybe forgotten from making it? Not so much the, the memories behind the film, but more... Yeah, it was more like kind of reacting to decisions that have made in it and forgotten, like the individual decisions maybe in the edit and going, oh, wow, okay, that's uh, <laughs> that was bold. <laughs> I don't know if I do that now. But um, but I tend to, like, you know, you ha- you, you hold the, the films in you while you make them and you have to do, I um, usually end up doing a thing where you memorize, you can memorize all the rushes, you know, every frame of it. But it all goes as soon as it's finished, you know, you dump it all. And then by the time you've done a few more jobs after that, you can't remember any of it. And I know that's true for a lot of the crew, like the sound mixers and the effects people and editors, they can't remember anything about what they've done afterwards. But it's intense while it, while it happens. I mean, I think we cut that one for, that was like six months or something. So it was pretty heavy, um, Amy and I editing that. But yeah, no, it, it, it was more just, I hadn't remembered how manic it was, the film. And I'd had the similar thing with Kill List. I'd saw that a few years ago and I was like I was quite surprised but I think it's like it's more like you kind of you know in yourself you change every year Mm. um but these are but it's very few things that leave markers which are very precise markers of what stage you you were at and so they're they're quite surprising but yeah I mean I'm not but then again I'm not surprised because I'm, I'm a different person now than I was you know three years ago let alone 10. What was it like, uh, I guess, actually watching it at the cinema with an audience? What was it like being surrounded by, you know, other people watching the film? It was nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, uh, But they were all laughing a lot and kind of getting on with it. And so it was working in the same way that I remember it working. But it was one of those things I'd I'd kind of shelved it away in my memory of like going, you do it, you get the reviews, you go, you sift through the ones that are good and go, they're okay. Ignore the ones that are bad. And then then it just gets set in kind of uh, amber and it's like that's it that's that the memory of that film and you don't have to think about it again but doing that with an audience was quite raw defrosting it yeah i guess like once it sort of ends with like the physical media and that sort of home release and, and that's yeah where you get your reviews sort of locked in yeah they're the ones <laughs> and then it's it. out there and it goes on the shelf exactly the social media all burns away no, <laughs> no one can dig back that far in twitter to find out what people are saying 
What I like about when I was sort of researching um, this film and, and uh, just looking online, you know, things like Letterboxd, so, you know, people discovering it every single day. And I love sort of looking at reviews now from people who have stumbled along across a field in England. Maybe it was on TV one night or it's on a streaming service and they've taken a chance. And, and I love those people like going in cold. And that seeing the response because most people are like bloody hell it blew me away you know this one was wild. Well, and, no, it's uh, one, it's one star, five star, yeah, <laughs> three and a half star, isn't it? I but mean, still it's, the same comment. Yeah, it's, re it's resolutely <laughs> in the middle, isn't it? On the on the actual on the aggregate kind of thing, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, I, but that was the whole point of it. You know, it was it had come out of that thing of of watching telly late at night and seeing catching the beginning of a film but not seeing the title and going what is this and then you know and uh, and I wanted to make a film that was like a midnight movie that you would. Not even a midnight cinema movie, more of a midnight you know, like channel form. Yeah, you know. that's a procedure slot. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just catch it and go. I think I think about films like um, uh, Straight Time. I think I'd, I'd seen a bit of Straight Time and didn't know what it was, and it just got wilder and wilder as I was watching. I was like, oh my god, this is that's amazing. And um, so yeah, that's that. So that is kind of the stumbling upon it is the best way of seeing it. I think a pretty joyous way to go in. I always love going to see films a bit cold as well, yeah. you know, uh, away from the marketing um, with a bit of distance. Yeah, I think I saw Bug like that. Nice. Not knowing what it was <laughs> at all and going, oh my God, the first time I'd seen Shannon in anything as well. Oh, amazing. So it was, a, it was quite, an, you know, a real standout screening that. And then I think Evil Dead 2 was one I'd saw. I didn't really know much about it. I hadn't seen Evil Dead and I saw it at the cinema. Oh, wow. um, at, like lunchtime on my own, bunking off score. And I was like, oh my God. With a field in England, do you remember sort of where where the sort of the germ of the idea that became this film uh, first came from? Yeah, I mean, it had been something had been kicking around for for ten years for for me, um, and and it had come out of doing a bit of starting to do a documentary about the sealed knot, who were the um, English Civil War uh, reenactment society, and I'd gone with them to Memmingen to the Memmingen Festival, which is in Germany, which is just amazing, which is like a Living History uh, Festival, and you you go and dress, and I've dressed up and wow. at the at, uh, kind of uh, the hog and had mead and all that stuff and marched around and it was just phenomenal and videoed it and like basically when the people would go home in the evening it was just all as far because it's a medieval city in the centre of it anyway so as far as I could see was in the past you know wow. so I came out of that I was like oh I'm, I didn't quite get the documentary together I had a load of rushes and like, oh. and then it started researching and then started to write a script around it and that just kind of just hung about for 10 years and then then we started I think it, the year that we made it we made Field in England it was um it was meant to make another much bigger budget thing and it had collapsed and it was getting towards the end of the year and we went oh well, we'll just make something then and we go oh well, this do this civil war thing because it can be done we realized that people only have one set of clothes so that the the um the idea of like a a period piece being really expensive because of the costume suddenly disappeared and then amy had the idea of oh, we'll do it in a field and then you don't have to um you know that's one location and, and so it started to build together from that and then amy wrote it and she i had an old script that she looked at and she said no this is rubbish we'll start again i think <laughs> <laughs> i think mine was about a giant worm or something so it was a it was going to be expensive so we got rid of all that and and she wrote this um, she wrote Field in England, and, we, and, and then we, we. I think what happened was we were going to make it for like no money, like for. I think we had like about five grand or six grand, and do it in the same way as we did Down Terrace. Mm. Um, and the the initial plan was to film it with everybody in costume, including the crew. Oh wow! So that wherever the actors looked, it would look period, except for the camera. Mm. 
but then we realised that the actual budget of the film would balloon out of all proportion to costume the crew. <laughs> there was much more crew. So that kind of went away. And we were all going to live in tents, and then we didn't do that either. Uh, but then I think what happened was that Film 4 heard that we were doing it um, and contacted us and said, well, actually, there's this new thing that we're doing. There's a, like a fund, mm. so we could put some money in if you want. And we're like, yeah, why not? That's good. So we did. But it was still micro, I mean, it's £300,000, I think oh, wow. it was. And it was quite a, a quick shoot. I sort of remember from the time was it yeah, a couple of about weeks 10, or something. Ten days, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, but it was designed to be shot like that because we were going to do it ourselves. So it wasn't that wasn't a problem. Any of that side of it. I love that uh, it sort of started with a civil war reenactment company, but we don't actually see any battle scenes in the field in England. But you do you do feel like there is stuff going on. There's really great sound design and a, and a few effects of like things blowing up. Yeah, well, there's if you look at the beginning, there's you can see pikes. And that was the sealed knot. Oh, so wow. we were, and the, when we shot it, we didn't we, we didn't have anything there. And then we, when we edit, edited the film together, ah, oh, you really should see a little bit of what that battle is. So we, went, Laurie Rose and I, went out to a, uh, one of the musters, the um, the sealed knot do, and then and filmed the tips of their pikes to be posted in <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> That's been quite bizarre. We just want the tips of the pikes, lads. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, no, we didn't say that. We filmed the, the whole thing and just took hours doing it. But then uh, we're not going to use their faces. Uh, I do love that. It is sort of almost like a chamber piece, even though it is in a big open field. You just got these five actors, you know, giving really fantastic performances and and sort of trying to work out who's got the upper hand and the sort of mystery that's that's going on. It feels like quite juicy material for your your cast to uh, to work with. Yeah, I mean that's the thing when you're at the lower budget. It's like the the thing you have to lean into the thing that you your strengths and the, and and if you've done it right the cast is the strength you know you and and then the performances and the writing so it's like that and then you move backwards from from there so yeah and they were I think they were, most of them were written for the people as well specifically so kind of knew what their cadence were and what you know how they uh, you know, so there wouldn't be a map. It's not like you're having because it's complicated the script of fielding this. So you don't want to really be finding it on on location. You know, even though there's five people together, there's lots of scenes where it is just sort of like you know uh, one on one, and and you get some really you know sort of like meaty, quite theatrical back and forth. Especially um, when Michael Smiley and Rishi Smith finally meet, it's quite a, a frosty uh, first encounter. But they, their performances are incredible. Yeah, uh, you know that really struck me the other day when I saw it. I, you know, and and seeing it in the cinema as well is it makes all the difference to see because it is a film of faces. You know, massive, big old craggy faces <laughs> facing off. <laughs> they do look really good in the black and white actually like all the details on the costume yeah. um scans really well on the camera but their faces and different bits of mud and facial hair and, and, and stuff. that was the point really i mean we, we i'd kind of seen a interview with uh john borman talking about the general and the general his film the general was released in black and white and in color but the preferred version was black and white and his his explanation for it being in black and white even though it was a contemporary movie was that that modern streets are just full of color too much color and you can't you're distracted by signage or a coloured car or whatever in the background. You're not looking at the people, but as soon as you put it into black and white, it's about texture, and then it, then you, your eyes go to the actor's eyes. Um, so that was one of the main reasons that we did it, um, so that it becomes about folds in clothes and dirt and 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 clouds rather than blue and green and red. You know, really, yeah, really struck me actually. It's like it's quite, um, you know, the, the film's got a sort of a psychedelic edge to it and and seeing like the wide shots of the field and the clouds sort of add adds to that as well yeah i mean it had been a journey that laurie rose and uh, the dop and i had been on where we'd started off with down terrace and everything was very close focus because we'd come from both come from television and uh, and at that time 
the lenses on and TV were all like focused to infinity and it was really hard to get anything that was out of focus in the background. Mm. And so as soon as we went to prime lenses, like the proper cinema lenses, we were like, oh my God, we can make things yeah. out of focus. So it took about four films to get back to um, embracing the, the full depth of field, mm. which is like something like, um, you know, that was the thing that they said about Citizen Kane is like the kind of, that the, the, he didn't, because the film cameras had a different problem, which they couldn't do with these deep, deep focuses. So, so that film is all like really super deep focus because um, it was like the first time they'd been able to, you know, to do it. Astrologer, you say, right? Yes, it's the uh, celestial bodies, their movements. Right. Prediction, prophecy, divination. They hang above us. Stars, planets. No, don't, sorry. Have you never looked up? Sounds badly paid. Ah, well, well yeah. my master says that knowledge is its own payment. This was your first time working with Rhys Shearsmith, and you've worked with him many times uh, since. How did how did he come on board for uh, Field in England? I think it was I'd met him, I'd met him through Michael Smiley, um, because they were in uh, Burke and Hare. Oh yes, both in Burke and Hare, and so he kind of Michael knew him through that, and then I'd seen. I'd seen him and he'd come to a couple of screens. I'd seen him after kill, chatted to him after Kill List, and he'd seen Kill List and stuff. And then we had a um, like a, a meeting and a cup of tea and had a chat. And then basically, yeah, then we just re reached out to him and said, "We'll write it specifically for you." And then he was, you know, that, and it just kind of worked out from there. But he, the thing I found with Reese is like, which is not terribly surprising because you can see it in the work he's done. But like the, the like the the sheer dedication and then the technical kind of um focus that he has is really amazing so um and then also on field it's like he knows that he knows that john d stuff and he knows all the magic stuff and he knows the history of horror you know inside and out and so he brings that all without having to be asked you know so um and 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 he's done that subsequently in all the roles we've, that we've worked together which is you know terrific when uh, India Earth came around and you were like, it's another film in a field race, <laughs> what was his response? <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, I, I think he was, uh, it, when we were filming it, he was like, oh, man, I get to uh, run around with an axe. It's <laughs> fantastic. You know? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, that's what I've always wanted to see you go, you know, full torrents. <laughs> I think in, in this one, you sort of uh, see Michael Smiley doing a performance we don't often see either, like, you know, sort of playing this this villain who's, it's quite a, a straight role, you know. He's not cracking jokes, which he's such a funny guy mm -hmm. uh, usually. Um, and um, and yeah, just seeing like the, the the height difference between them and the stature as well, like um, it, it's quite a. It does feel like quite an epic uh, face-off. Yeah, I mean, I, with Michael again, it's like I always enjoy um, working with him and 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 kind of seeing where where we can push him, you know, because we've seen him do the kind of. Um, uh, I mean, he's great at being terrifying and being a, a kind of a, a, a tough nut and then being really funny. But it's nice seeing him do other kinds of uh, roles as well. But he's just, you know, he's just got a brilliant face and he's always and he brings this amazing energy to stuff. I love his entrance in the film because it's probably like half an hour or so before he actually turns up and then he is pulled from the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, uh, he, yeah, it's quite the entrance, isn't it? So, um very abstract you know when i was watching the other day I'm going oh yeah it's like what are they going to think when they just see it's just a dude on the end of a rope <laughs> it's 
obviously spoilers <laughs> yeah the rope is an important part of the film and, and there's this really you know the iconic scene of uh hearing reese screaming for for mm. several minutes and then and then the sort of reveal of him on the rope um and th- that's mesmerizing that that sequence of um you know first of all the build-up is incredible uh, and then finally seeing the reveal of, of reese in this or zombie like state and uh tethered to michael who's <laughs> pulling him around the field yeah i mean that we didn't know what reese was going to do really and and I didn't want to direct him particularly to give him any too much detail into what what it was going to be. So he was, I don't, you know, I think I've heard him talk about it where he's like he was, you know, mulling it over behind the the sheet of the tent because obviously he wasn't actually screaming in the tent before he did that bit. But but it, but the the look on the other actors' faces as he goes past is all real. I mean, there was only like one, I think it was only one or two takes of it anyway, and everyone was like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> And I, as soon as he came out, I, I knew kind of what it was that it was, you know, it's like a Lon Chaney, you know, thing or or an Evil Dead thing, effectively, you know. And I was like, oh, that's smart, you know. Rather than coming out looking terrified, he's coming out in in bliss. Um, and uh, and then the other side of it was like it had been. I wanted to do why I shot it so slow was like I want. I used to have nightmares of a kid when I was a kid, which was just looking at tree bark just getting closer and closer to my face and so. And I, and I wanted to give that that feeling to it but also like for the to give the audience the fear like oh this could be the rest of the film this could go on forever and ever and ever and it just goes on a little bit too long and they're all like going oh shit this is this is this whole thing's been a trap you know <laughs> it's um it's really really powerful stuff and uh I, I like actually i think um peter ferdinando looks directly to camera just before he comes out and it's sort of like I don't know. It's it's quite unsettling seeing that as well. Yeah. Well, they're like they're it's we're stuck. We're here. Help us. Can you get us out of this situation? Yeah. Like you reaching know. out the screen. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. And it. Yeah. And that's something I don't know. I th- on the day I'd kind of thought about that and like go and you know if you heard the sound it would be like Peter look at the look at the camera Peter. <laughs> He's like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> you do have those um, sort of, like, I guess, like interstitials of, of the cast sort of standing still. The tab- uh, tableau vivant. The, the tab- yeah, which is remarkable. Was that always something, you know, was that sort of written into the script? Yeah, yeah, Amy had written that in as a, as a thing. And she started as a as like woodcuts. And then she changed it up through the drafts. But it kind of, the idea behind it was like, in a way that the... That the film exists before cinema itself, and so that we were trying out different kind of techniques that were um, out of time, you know, before cinema was invented. So you can do these things because none of those, you know, the traditional ways of doing it hadn't been invented yet. Was the thinking, you know? So, um, but it that you know that they would have been their only image making would have been connected to um, paintings and to, to woodcuts and, and things like that. So. It's what it's slightly counterintuitive because when you read it, you kind of go, "Is this going to work?" <laughs> but then as soon as we did one, we're like, "Oh wow, yeah, this is this is." Great. It's really powerful stuff because it just makes you you just focus on the characters and you're sort of reminded of what's going on, what status everybody is yeah. in at that point in the film. Yeah, they're chapter headings, but and they're compressed storytelling um, in a way that a painting is, and you get to look at it just a little bit longer than you would do a film image. 
Yeah, it's a really nice amount of time to sort of drink in all the detail and especially actually rewarding um, repeat viewings. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen it now, but multiple times and I was still noticing new stuff, especially in those those tableau sequences. Yeah, I mean, the whole film could have been like that in a way, just a series of those, you know, and it's like how their hands are angled and kind of their heads cocked and stuff tells you the story as much almost as the dialogue to, to a degree. Absolutely. There's lots of really great filmmaking techniques in here. You mentioned a sort of uh, this, you know, slow motion sort of bits and bobs, but there's also this incredible end sequence, which is, you know, got a lot of editing uh you know lots of um sort of kaleidoscopic imagery uh, again how did that that come together i've been interested in the fast cut stuff since i was at college you know and i'd done a lot of that kind of frame cutting um technique at college and i'd seen um like 60s experimental stuff like towers open fire and things like that and that that had, that had kind of influenced it but then when i was making getting ready to make the film i was thinking about um, persistence of vision and how that works because that's really interesting like that you know that how we ended up at 24 frames per second rather than 12 or you know and then you look in anime is like 12 isn't it or, or less and then you know, Disney animation is 24 Akira is 24 but then you know different compressions of video can be 12 or 10 um, and it's like what's the what was the sweet spot when your eye blurs them together rather than seeing them as stuttery and then I thought what if you what if you took so 12 frames per second is totally reasonable to understand a moving image, though not quite as uh, smooth as 24. But what if you took two two streams of 12 and put them together that were different things and you watched them at the same time, what would happen? And field in England is what happens when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Putting that sequence together, was that, you know, you talked about the edit was sort of six months. Was, was that one of the sequences that took longer to, to put together in the edit? Or was that no, that's quite, quite quick, that stuff. It's more performance-based stuff is harder and, and kind of, um, there wasn't any structural stuff, I don't think, because it, and we we cut it kind of chronologically as well. So we started at the beginning and cut through to the end. Yeah, I mean, it's just the the sifting through of the performances and the tightening and tightening and tightening was the thing that took the time on that one. Um, yeah, the the montage stuff was surprisingly quick, to be honest. You got this amazing cast. You got your your sort of five core actors, and you also have Julian Barrett in a very uh, brief role just before the title sequence. <laughs> how did he? Like, how did yeah? How did he respond to that? Like. You, know, you want me to be that character? <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember how it happened. I think it was because he, he was working with Andy Stark, the producer anyway, doing they were doing shorts together, I think. So it was more, you know, it was within the in the wider kind of family of people. And obviously, he's, you know, knows Steve Oram and Alice Lowe and all those people. So mm. it's not, it wasn't that unusual. When I look back at it now, it seems like a massive, I should have had <laughs> him in it for longer. <laughs> you know, it was... Yeah, I don't know how how that that one came together. That's that's lost to the mysteries of time a little bit, you know. It's a fantastic death sequence. You see a full spear sort of go through, <laughs> but I forgot it was like pre-titles. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like he's he's the the Vivian Lee of of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there we go. A Field in England is in the, the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Uh, you know, the sort of broad concept of this podcast is we're going to one day put on a, a film festival that only shows under 90 minute films. Uh, and if you could have any sort of say over where we might screen A Field in England, uh, have you got a favourite cinema or sort of a, a fun location that you'd, you'd like to put on a showing of it? Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, my favourite cinemas are sadly in the past, so they're quite hard to get. They're hard, hard to get to. So I would, I would like it to be on at the Scala in about nineteen eighty-eight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can sort that out. <laughs> yeah, no problem. And a really, really battered print. 
Nice. That no, jumps quite a lot and, <laughs> and is uh, got lots of frames missing. Um, or I suppose the Duke of York cinema in um, about '92 when I was at college. That would have been a good one. That could be quite fun. I do yeah. think showing this on 35 mil would be quite a quite a ride. You know, it would be impossible to make that film on 35 because of the frame cutting. Because when you make a when you do a cut in when you make a positive version of a, of a film shot on 35, you've got to cut the negative. And it destroys a frame either side of the edit. So frame cuts are virtually impossible unless you dupe the uh, the neg and then, then they won't be quite the same. All right, I see, I see. <laughs> so it's a tricky one, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the last film, I think Sightseers is on, is, exists on 35. I know Kill List does. And we did because it was part of the BFI deliverables for a long time that you oh, had to make a 35 mil version. And I remember seeing Kill List like to sign it off and going, oh, yeah, it looks amazing. And then the next time I saw it, yeah, scratched the fuck. Oh, was... no. <laughs> That's the worst thing. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we can we can do that. We'll arrange a time machine. Duke of York's 92. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Late night showing. <laughs> uh, well, that would be grand. Uh, well, thank you uh, for talking to us uh, today, Ben, and say, you know, this is, you've, there's many more 90-minute films in your filmography, so I do urge listeners uh, to check them out. And, uh, yeah, what do, what do we see you doing next? Um, well, The Meg 2, which is out in August... Um, sadly, not a 90-minute film. So it's just a little bit longer than 90 minutes. And then I'm doing a TV series that is uh, shooting in August for uh, Channel 4. Oh, amazing. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Very exciting stuff. Um, well, thanks, Sam. Always a pleasure to talk to you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Cheers, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.